The Fed is acting very hawkishly lately. If you haven't seen their, uh, their meetings, uh, they have a meeting every month. And so Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Fed, you know, he's one of the most uh, uh, powerful people in finance uh, in probably in the world, you know, because they're able, he's really able to uh, dictate how the stock market is going to act. Uh, interest rates uh, really dictate the market. They're like gravity, you know, so you increase interest rates, you increase the gravity and stocks are going to just go down, you know, kind of like uh, gravity. Right? Like if you're gonna go jump on Mars, you're gonna jump much higher. That's kind of how the stock market is acting. It's going much higher. Kind of like if you were to go walk on the moon, you can jump, you know, I don't know how many feet. I'm not a, you know, astrologist or I don't even know what you'd study to, you know, study the astronauts, uh, you know, maybe you'd be a, a physicist probably. Anyways, let's, let's get straight into this. So this is a Barron's article. Uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 131 points uh, up aka 0.4%, so almost half a percent, while the S&P slipped 0.2%, and the NASDAQ composite uh, was little changed. The NASDAQ uh, was up as much as 3%, while the S&P 500 was up around 2% immediately after the announcement. Uh, talking about the Fed announcement, of course. The Dow was also in the green earlier in the day. The stock market gains turned to mostly losses after the Federal Reserve uh, left interest rates unchanged for the moment, but said hikes are on the way. So, you know, when he, you hear somebody s saying that they're acting very hawkish, uh, it means that they're acting very aggressive in terms of um, combating inflation, combating uh, loose monetary policy. And so you see the, um, you know, Jerome Powell, the chairman or like the higher up, you know, like the kind of like uh, leader of the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve is obviously the Federal Reserve Bank. Uh, which kind of has a big, big control on financial markets in the U.S. and even in the world. Uh, anyways, uh, so so they're leaving the uh, the interest rates unchanged, which means they're not hiking interest rates yet, and they are, but they are signaling that they will increase interest rates. Um, of course, if they don't, then that means that uh, the market is going to keep going up, and we're going to have very loose monetary policy, meaning that there's going to be more inflation. There's going to be a uh, loose when you talk about loose money, okay, what you're talking about is, you know, a, a larger money supply, right? Because when you increase interest rates, you're increasing the rate at which someone has to pay interest to borrow money. So you go, you know, buy an apartment and you have to uh, borrow money to buy an apartment or a house or whatever. Uh, you're going to have to pay back more money to whoever you're, whoever's lending you that loan if there's a higher interest rate. And so that's going to tighten money because people are going to be more reluctant to give you a, a, or not to give you a loan, but to take out a loan, right? So there's gonna be less money in the system if they increase interest rates. And so the Fed may not be hiking interest rates today, but said high inflation will elict, elicit uh, rate increases soon. Quote, this is what he said uh, in the meeting. He said, it will soon be appropriate to raise the target range for the federal funds rate, uh, he said. So basically in you know real people talk, that means that um, we'll see. Uh, it will soon be appropriate to raise the target range. Okay, so what is the target range? You know, I mean, the target range is 2% uh, interest rates in the next two years. So he's saying by uh, 2023, we're going to have 2% interest rates. Of course, it's kind of laughable because we have inflation at marked at 7%. So, I mean, if you have money in bonds, you might want to move that out. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. But anyways, even in cash too. Uh, the, anyways, uh, so... Uh, by March, the Fed plans to have ended its bond buying program. Of course, they're still expanding their debt and their balance sheet, meaning that um, they're, they're, they're purchasing um, assets of the U.S. government. At, so they're really expanding the money supplies right now. They're stimulating the economy right now as we talk. Like they're acting like they're, it's kind of crazy how they act like they're like, you know, uh, not doing anything crazy while interest rates are at zero. And they're buying bonds of the U.S. government. So, like, they're they're having very loose money, uh, mo loose monetary, uh, you know, uh, policy right now. And I mean, it's kind of crazy to be honest. Anyways, um, let's see what people are saying about this. Um, at the news conference, Powell didn't comment on exactly when the Fed would begin reducing the size of its balance sheet, meaning they're going to start selling uh, U.S. Uh, assets. U.S. bonds. The problem is, who's going to want to buy these U.S. bonds that are having you know a negative real uh, uh, return? You know, we're talking about negative real return because um, you know 
you might actually get 2% back a year, a dividend or whatever. But the problem is that um, if inflation is at 7%, it means that even if you get 2% a year, right? So maybe you buy $1,000 worth of bonds, you get paid, uh, what would it be, $20 every single year? Okay, great. But then inflation is at 7%, meaning you lost 70% of your buying power of the dollar did. So you're actually losing $50 every single year if you're buying bonds. And so the issue with this is they're saying, well, when are you going to start selling these bonds to people? And who's going to buy these bonds? Mostly Americans, right? Why would an American buy a bond that's getting negative, uh, that's giving you a negative 5% yield every single year? Nobody's going to do that. And this is the real checkmate that they're in. And this is why you hear a lot of economists, you hear a lot of, you know, stock analysts saying this. And then there's some that are just completely just haven't even thought about this because they're so like wrapped up in their job or someone's telling them what to say that, you know, I'm never going to, you know, let somebody tell me what to tell you because, I mean, it's crazy that people are still buying bonds right now. I think it's mostly, I heard a very smart person talking about this and they said that mostly the people that are buying bonds are uh, retirement funds, right? So it, say you put your money in a retirement plan, you're not controlling that money. Some random person's going to be control that money and they don't really care about if, if you're losing your money. All they care about is, hey, we have this money safe and it's not going to like completely crash. You might lose 5% every year, but it won't go to zero. Okay, that's all I care about. So one more reason why you should manage your own finances. Anyways, um, let's see what else what else is going on here. Uh, Andrew Benner of the Nat Alliance Securities, however, blamed the decline of uh, Chairman Jerome Powell's tone, quoting that Powell sounding much more hawkish is the pressure. He wrote, treasuries hit and equities giving back gains. That's pretty obvious. Uh, anyways, partly he said uh, the decline reflects the fact Powell expects to raise interest rates several times, obviously, yeah, and say that the economy is uh, on solid enough footing to handle multiple rate hikes. It's definitely not. Like if they're still buying bonds and they're the only ones buying bonds other than these retirement funds and, you know, like really people that don't care about their money, this is not solid ground, okay? And and, and when we have when we have when we, when we have um, zero zero interest rates, right? Like at zero, meaning like the gravity is there's no gravity, so stocks can go all the way up with no gravity. Then what's going to happen? Uh, you're going to have economic prosperity, right? There's going to be a lot of jobs, a lot of people going to be making money if they're investing in the stock market. The issue is even with this crazy stimulus that we have, it's basically like throwing gas on a fire. You know, like when you have a fire, you're supposed to like build it up with wood. Some people just throw gas on that thing, and it just goes crazy. That's basically what they're doing, but they're just keep pouring gas on it. Like it's not stopping. They're just keep pouring, pouring, pouring gas on it. And the issue is that they're saying, oh no, if we take the gas off it, it's gonna be fine, but it's not gonna be fine because we're having labor shortages still. We're having a bunch of issues. We're having supply chain issues where there's chip shortages, there's labor shortages. Oh, I mean, we have, um, what do we have? We have the largest uh, trade deficit in forever. We have a above $100 billion per month trade deficit in the US for the first time forever. So, I mean, I mean, they've got to be thinking about this stuff, of the Fed at least. Anyways, the two-year tre treasury yield shot up to 1.14% from its low for the day of 1%. That yield tries to forecast the level of short-term rates for the next couple of years. As Powell spoke, the 10-year treasury yield, which moves in the opposite direction of price, rose 1.86%, a level that hasn't been seen since one week ago. Oh, so not since one week ago, but hasn't been seen since about one, oh no, that is what it said. Uh, to be sure, not much of this uh, was new to the stock market. The interest rate, uh, the interest rate market has already been reflected that the Fed has already been reflecting uh, that the Fed will uh, lift the benchmark lending rate, interest rates, four times this year, starting in March. A move that could slow down economic growth because uh, you know interest rates act as act as um, you know, like I said, gravity. So you increase interest rates four times to two percent. It's going to take down stocks, uh, stock prices at least. Um, so what do we got here? The central bank is also expecting to soon begin reducing the size of its balance sheet, selling bonds that they're buying at a very crazy rate still. Uh, still the game's faded and it may part be partly because there is uh, still some Fed-related uncertainty that didn't go away upon the Fed's release. Simply put, inflation has soared and the Fed uh, may have to lift rates so quickly that the stock market will fall hard. I mean... Yeah, this is just like a really bad position they're in, in my opinion. Okay, so quote, one of the biggest risks uh, for this year is a Fed policy error, said Todd Thompson, portfolio manager at Reams Asset Management. They're so late, it's getting to this, 
uh, rate increases. Hmm. They're so late in getting, okay, they're so late in getting to these uh, rate increases. See, the issue here is that I don't think that they're going to actually lift these in interest rates. Like, um, in 2018, they, they, they said that they were going to begin lifting interest rates, and they did begin lifting interest rates. And if you recall, the stock market started plunging and started going straight down. And what did they do? They dropped them back down. You know, if they did that in 2018, with all the stimulus that's been done since then, you know, I mean, with the bond, with 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 them buying bonds, expanding the uh, the the debt of the uh, with their balance sheet, expanding their balance sheet, um, increasing stimulus. I mean, it's even they they have even less strong uh, footing. You know, the, the, the economy is even less strong since 2018 much less strong since the covid we got bailed out during covid i mean there's no way they're going to actually just sit by actually go through with it when they have the lever to you know print more money like there's just no way they're actually just going to do the right thing um you know that's in my opinion but who knows what's going to happen really anyways until the feds once they release investors had been in dip buying mode after two days in which the S&P had briefly entered correction territory, defined as a 10% or greater drop from an all-time high. The NASDAQ is already trading in correction territory. Yeah, so people are anticipating this price into the markets that we're going to start increasing interest rates as stock prices are going to go down, so people are selling their stocks. Uh, even though the stock market looked like it was in a good market earlier in the day, it never truly showed that it's out of the woods from its larger uh, dr uh, dr uh, drawdown. S&P went only down slightly above its 200-day moving average of roughly 4,430 after tumbling. That fall indicated that S uh, investors seeing Fed released risks on the horizon. They're saying that, look, Fed's going to increase interest rates and we're going to have lower stock prices. Um, and so people are not comfortably buying stocks anymore. Um, they're selling. Okay, great. So we have GameStop, which is launching its new own NFT marketplace. So this could definitely push up the uh, price of GameStop's, GameStop stock. So it's good news for many people that are invested in GameStop. But let's get straight into this. So GameStop plans to launch its own NFT uh, marketplace and it's co-creating an quote up to $100 million fund for game developers who use it. The marketplace will mark GameStop expansion from a popular meme stock to a company that uh, dabbles in cryptocurrency and Web3 tech, although it may also provoke the wrath of gamers who are uh, strongly opposed to NFTs. I doubt that. I think that a lot of people that are uh, interested in investing their money in GameStop want to see GameStop take all that money that they're getting and invest that into creating new developments, creating you know research developments, uh, and and putting that money back into the company instead of the CEOs just taking a lot of money and running. You know what I mean? Uh, the new GameStop NFT marketplace is supposed to launch later this year. It's built on Immutable X, a platform based on popular Ethereum cryptocurrency blockchain. Of course, I think that Ethereum is probably the best blockchain to build this on. Um, a platform. Okay. Okay. Designed by Mutable, the company behind the NFT trading card games Gods Unchained, uh, Mutable X is intended to mitigate the biggest drawbacks of Ethereum, which is its massive energy consumption and the high associated gas fees. Uh, so, which you know, those gas fees make it difficult to do trading and stuff like that. Which I'm sure it's gonna, you know, I'm sure it's going to uh, be less of a problem in the future. But we're in the very early days of this whole thing. Uh, which can add extraordinary uh, processing costs to any transaction. Of course, the protocol combines hundreds of thousands of sales records into a single transaction that's written to the Ethereum blockchain. Immutable uh, promises to make up for the environmental costs it does incur by paying for uh, carbon offsets. So they're basically saying that, look, I know we're making a lot of uh, problems with this, you know, CO2 we're putting into the atmosphere, but we're going to take care of it somehow so i don't know they may, maybe they're gonna start planting trees or something i doubt it but anyways immutables uh, existing partnerships are supposed to give the new gamestop initiative a boost since companies that already use immutable x will be able to feature the nfts on the marketplace immutable and gamestop are also partnered 
partnering, partnering uh, to create the fund for developers. While Immutable X is used to some non-gamer-focused partners like TikTok, mm. GameStop's marketplace is pitched as a place to buy and sell in-game assets representing it, represented as blockchain tokens. So this is actually really interesting. I mean, if you think about it, like when you buy a Fortnite skin or a Call of Duty skin or whatever type of skin on your guns or your person or whatever, or even like a DLC map or something, once you buy that and then you're done with the game, like it's kind of like a waste of money, you know? But if you're able to actually sell that to somebody else and then make your money back or even maybe make more money by investing in it and then flipping it for extra money, man, I mean, that that would make it... Um, I think a lot of people would be happy with that. You know, I know that I would I would have been happy about that when I used to play video games. Um, but I mean, I think this is going to work, honestly. I mean, I, I think there's a big potential for this to be, do really well in the future. Anyways, uh, GameStop's marketplace is pitched as a place to buy and sell in-game assets. Okay, great. GameStop offers examples of digital real estate, weapons, and character skins. Yep, just like I just talked about. GameStop previously signals its interest in blockchain uh, tech last year, advertising for, quote, ahead of Web3 gaming, as well as a variety of NFT-based jobs. NFTs are often described as a way to prove ownership of in-game items, and they can let players trade items outside an an approved marketplace, like an in-game auction house. Some play-to-earn games, like uh, Axie Infinity, also use cryptocurrency and NFTs to run an in-game economy that translates into real money for players. See, that would be really interesting. I mean, imagine if you could have have like a Call of Duty, but instead of just like uh, playing for fun, you're actually like playing for money somehow. But I mean, it just seems it seems like there's a lot of bad things that can come out of that, like lawsuits or like I don't know, but. I mean, if they can make that work, like, that would be insane. You know, like, you put, like, a certain amount of money in, and then, like, maybe, like, whoever wins gets the money, or maybe, like, you know, if, if you, there's, like, a bonus, if you, if you, if, if you win, a, like, a big game, you win $1,000 or $10,000, like, that would be really crazy if that, if, if, the, I think that is probably going to happen, honestly. I don't see why that wouldn't happen. Uh, but their benefits are sometimes oversold. Particular claims that they will let players carry items from one game to another, possibility that's difficult and often uh, undesirable for many other reasons yeah i mean we never even saw that in games without money like we never saw you go from fortnite to call of duty we never saw that you know but i do think that we can go from like call of duty to the next call of duty where like you buy one skin from this call of duty and then you know you could transfer that to to the next call of duty maybe that could happen but there's no way like fortnite call of duty are gonna like connect their you know their their stuff anyways while some companies, particularly Ubisoft, have forged ahead with NFT games despite criticism, others have canceled plans for NFT linked with games uh, like Worms and Stalker 2. I don't even know those games, so that's a, it's a great thing that these aren't big games. Anyways, that's uh, happened particularly due to criticism from players, but also a lack of enthusiasm from developers who responded with overwhelming negativity to the phenomenon in a recent survey. But launching uh, with buy-in from blockchain uh, native games could help GameStop dodge the backlash that's followed publishers and studios uh, devolving into NFTs. Yeah, I think it's a good. I think it's gonna be a big thing with like uh, Fortnite and Call of Duty. I think those games, um, probably more games than that, that I don't really know about. But I know that people are spending money, you know, to look cool or to have a certain gun or whatever. Um, or have like a secret map or not a secret map, but to get like a, a new map that you weren't able to get for Call of Duty. And if you could actually sell that to somebody else and then get your money back, you know, that would be huge. That would be really big. Or if you could like invest in them, maybe like there's like a collectible type of, of thing that um, there's only a limited amount of. Like if they can make that happen, I do think that, um, I do think that it could be pretty successful. And I think it will be successful. It's just probably gonna take more time than most people think, honestly. Think people progressive congresswoman alexandra uh cortez a democratic socialist has a very different view on the nature of capitalism in a new interview with yahoo finance uh taped on january 27th uh she said that uh, people often have different definitions of the term like socialism or capitalism uh she said quote when we toss out these big words capitalism socialism they get uh sensationalized and people translate them into meaning things that perhaps they don't mean. That's a guess baloney. I, I mean, that happens with everything. Like when you say a certain word, people are gonna translate that into how they feel about the word. So I don't know, I feel like she's trying to like bend the words and stuff. But anyways, let's keep going. 
Um, she told uh, Yahoo Finance chief uh, Andrew Swarm, uh, quote, so to me, capitalism at its core, uh, what we're talking about when we talk about that is the absolute pursuit of profit at all human, environmental, and social cost. The Democratic Socialists of America defines the system as, quote, one where ordinary people have a real voice in our workplaces, neighborhoods, and societies. Uh, for her part, uh, AOC uh, envisions a, quote, more just economy as one where workers have more power. Uh, and they do in unionized workplaces or in worker uh, cooperatives that workers collectively own and operate. Okay. Uh, she said, quote, you know, we're here in the Bronx, she said during this, her interview. Um, she said, quote, I represent a community that has the largest concentration of worker cooperatives and one of the largest concentrations in the world. One worker uh, cooperative in the Bronx, uh, an employee-owned home care agency called Cooperative Home Care Associates, described itself as the largest worker cooperative in the U.S., employing roughly 2,000 Black and Latinx workers. Quote, now these are alternative ways of doing business, uh, she told uh, somebody. Uh, free markets are not the same thing as capitalism. I'm pretty sure there are actually. I think free markets are actually the same thing as capitalism. Um, you know, I mean, free markets are basically just saying that there's a less larger government, uh, meaning there's less taxes. You know, it's easier to trade with people. Uh, there's less, you know reporting there's less uh you know regulations and like hey you got to do this you got to do this you got to read all these papers before you start your business anyways uh, aoc has pointed to her own online store that sells merchandise like tax the rich t-shirts as a different way of doing business uh when former white house pre something i would like to say about that is most people don't know that 75 percent of taxes come from rich people like they're paying their taxes you know so i don't know Anyways, um, White House Press Secretary uh, Sean Spicer Spencer accused her of, quote, using capitalism to push socialism. That is what she's doing, but hey, everybody should have a free voice. Uh, in a tweet, she tweeted back at the same definition of capitalism that she used with Yahoo Finance. She said, quote, not sure if you know the this, uh, but transactions aren't capitalism, she wrote. Well, transactions are probably the largest part of capitalism because what capitalism is, is a free market where, you know, people can trade, people can transact without any intervention. You know, when you tax a transaction and you say, hey, if you make $100 by selling your basket to somebody, we're going to take half of that. So it's going to decentivize transactions. So kind of, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand with what capitalism is. Uh, she, anyways, she said, uh, our shop doesn't operate for profit and funds are pro uh, and fund projects like free tutoring, food programs, and local organizing is where uh, profits go to. Uh, she said that American billionaires uh, are the epitome of capitalism. She said, quote, what we're also discussing is the ability for a very small group of actual capitalists, and that is people who have so much money that their money makes money. Um, well, I mean, I don't think you need a lot of money to have your money make money. You know, like if you put your money in a stock, it's gonna make you money. Like there are stocks that are like $10. So, I mean, that's kind of crazy that she said that uh, a very small percent of capitalists uh, have so much money that their money makes money. Look, like if you buy a stock with 10 bucks, your money's gonna make money. So I think that she just never uh, took any personal finance classes. Anyways, um, people, okay, okay, and they don't, they don't have to work, she said. They can control industry and they can control our energy sources. If you ask me, I think that the richest people are the hardest working people you'll see out there. Look, at who are the richest, richest people? You see Elon Musk? That guy's sleeping in the factory every single day. Um, I study these people. I'm sure she's never studied these people. They can control our energy sources. They control our labor. They can essentially have power over the many. And to me, that is not a redeemable system. Well, the most redeemable system, I guess, is is communism I guess what she's saying um, but I'd like to get my thoughts on this you know I think that I think that when you have a lot of uh, prosperity in the economy uh, things start getting very different you know I think that a free market is what is going to really be able to create a prosperity for people you know when you have free trade people want to go to free trade because that's the way they can you know build their business build their their finances um, because when you don't tax people and you allow people to start their business 
without um, you know a lot of pushback and you're saying like hey uh, just start your business and we're gonna leave you alone and do whatever you want that's going to allow many many people to grow their business and what's gonna happen when you have a lot of people growing their business is prices for everything is gonna go down because there's more competition right there's more people trying to create a best a really amazing product right because um, but then when you have a when you have a lot of people doing this and you have economic prosperity look at the roaring 20s right in America or the Industrial Revolution we have many people making a lot of products. We have, you know, very cheap products because we have so much, uh, you know, manufacturing going on. We have so much production happening that when we're making so much money, then the government can say, okay, let us tax a little bit of that money. And, and then they say, wow, we only taxed a little bit of money. We made so much money off that. That gives the wrong message to a government. They say, okay, well, I guess this is a business, right? We're just going to take the people's uh, money who actually make the money. That turns into a, a form of socialism where you're just, basically just taxing the, the living, you know, just everything off these people that are really hustling and making that actual money. This turns to, you know, very high income taxes. This ties to very high capital gains taxes. Uh, this is going to tie to just high taxes overall, uh, very high regulations, uh, very high, just a big, just makes it very difficult to run a business, operate a business, start a business, uh, you know, expensive licenses expensive registrations expensive i mean so much it just makes it very difficult um and, and to at a certain point this just turns to socialism right because we have we're just going farther and farther and farther and farther into making it more difficult to operate a business and to start a business and to you know sell something because you're going to get taxed so it's like should i even sell this thing and then i mean it just turns into a very into a society that's not going to uh, be beneficial to somebody that wants to uh, start a business or even you know buy something and sell it because when you try to sell it they're gonna take half of it you know so why should you even sell it and then that's what what's that going to do when you when nobody wants to sell anything well then there's no trade there's no transactions right nobody's you know hey I made this basket you want to buy the basket well I can't sell you the basket because if I sell it to you then I only get half of it and the government gets the other half of it and so that's really what's, what happens when you have economic prosperity, the government starts to take their little piece and then it just keeps going farther and farther. It's a slippery slope. And then you get people like this who just want to take the whole pie and say, nobody should have any money. We should just take all of it. They don't deserve it. They're greedy people. Let's just take all of it, take all their money. Uh, they don't work, they're lazy, you know. Take all Elon Musk's money. This dude is a lazy guy. He obviously isn't working 100 hours a week for his whole life, you know. When's the last time this guy went on vacation? Okay, the last time he went on vacation was uh, when he when 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 he went to some the Bahamas and he came back and then his company got uh, then the people on the board threw him out of the company because he was on vacation. That's the last time he was on vacation, and he got thrown out of his business because the people weren't happy with him going on vacation. And since then he's been hustling all day every day. Okay, so I think he deserves the money he's made. Um, uh, when's the last time AOC went on vacation? I bet it was pretty recently, and I, guess what? I bet I bet nothing bad came out of that. I bet that a lot of people praised her for, for going vaca on vacation. Um, look, and I don't have a problem with you going on vacation. I think that you know it depends on what you want. Uh, but if if you're gonna choose the life of not going on vacation and working every day of your life, then should you have people just take take what take take the results that you got, take the business that you built, and just take all of it from you because you're greedy and you're taking you know it's unfair that you're that you have the money. It's like. And then, and then they called him lazy. So I don't know. I just think it's a big problem. I think that uh, free markets and capitalism is a good thing. I think that it pushes down prices to buy things, right? You look at an iPhone. How is this iPhone built? It was built by a capitalist. It was built by Steve Jobs, right? He worked his butt off for 20, 30 years uh, to create a great product that many people enjoy today. Uh, and, and many things about people that are want to tax these people, they don't create anything. There's no business. There's no product. Right. I mean, you look at uh, Amazon, you look at uh, uh, Elon Musk with Tesla. What are they doing? They're working and they're making something that people love. They're making a product that many people use. And yet they're lazy and people want to take the money that they've created by creating a product that many people use. OK, as far as I'm concerned, a AOC hasn't created anything. There's no product that I use from her. Like, what, what do you have? A tax of rich shirt? How is that helping anybody? Is that really making anybody's life better or is that just... Uh, creating complainers who want to take money from other people. Okay, let's look at uh, you know Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk. What what products do we use from them? Oh, Tesla. We love Teslas. Everybody's buying Teslas. Everybody wants a Tesla because it's an amazing car. It's better than other cars, right? 
Everybody uses Amazon. I just ordered a product today off Amazon, um, and it's a great product, okay? So you look at capitalists and, and, and communists, and what do you see? You see communists who want to complain and not actually make anything and then take stuff from the people who actually make stuff. You look at capitalists, you see people that don't complain, who work hard, who make products that other people enjoy. And, and so we have Amazon stock soaring 15% after earnings. They're going to hike up their uh, membership for Amazon Prime, where you get, you know, faster, you know, shipping on this stuff. I'm not trying to sell you Amazon Prime. I don't even have it myself. But maybe you are an investor in Amazon, the, the company. And let's, let's see what's going on with them. So Amazon reported fourth quarter results on Thursday and announced it will raise its Prime membership fee to $139 per year from $119 per year. So they're going up by $20. Uh, sorry, I think I said 130, I said 139. So they're increasing it at 20 bucks. Uh, the stock is soaring and it's after hours. Uh, these are the top and bottom line results for Amazon's fourth quarter. They have $27.75 per uh, earnings per share. They have a revenue of $137.4 billion. Uh, this is the third time since the launch of Amazon Prime that the e-commerce giant raged prices for its yearly uh, deliver delivery service in the US, uh, of course, Amazon Prime. It hiked fees in 2014 and 2018 by $20 each time. The announcement, uh, the announced price change will go into effect for new members on February 18th. Existing members will see the fees upon their renewal date after March 25th. The company's net income nearly doubled last quarter compared to the same period the previous year. The large part, uh, in, in large part because of the company's investments in the EV group uh, Revivin, Rivian. I'm sorry about that. I don't know how to pronounce that. Amazon reported $14.3 billion in net income for Q4 compared to $7.2 billion during the last three months of 2020. Quote, fourth quarter of 2021 net income includes a pre-tax valuation gain of $11.8 billion included in net non-operating income uh, from our common stock investments in uh, Rivian Automotive uh, Incorporated. And so when they're talking about uh, non-operating income, they're talking about uh, not income from Amazon, they're talking about their income from investments. Um, you know, operating means, you know, the, you know your payroll your, is your operating expenses, your operating income is the real profits you're making when you're selling your products. Like, um, you know, operating is, you know, your operations, what you're actually doing from your day to day. Uh, net sales increased 9% uh, to $137.4 billion in the fourth quarter that's crazy, you know, sales increasing 10% almost in one quarter is insane. If you analyze that, if you annualize that, that's almost half, or that's almost, you know, doubling, or not doubling, but that's almost going up by 40% in a complete, in a year, um, if you annualize that. Uh, compared with 125.6 billion in the same period last year. Amazon's web service uh, unit brought in 17.78 billion dollars in revenue for the quarter, compared to expect expectations of 17.23 billion dollars. Wow, well, that's not actually crazy. That's about um, 500 uh, million dollars. Uh, the web service brought in. Um, actually, that's a that's a lot of money, you know. Uh, compared to what expectations were, five hundred uh, million dollars over expectations for the quarter. Uh, the company's first quarter revenue forecast uh, is um, went from one hundred twelve billion dollars uh, to one hundred seventeen billion dollars. The street was expecting guidance of one hundred twenty billion dollars. I mean, it's it's really crazy how much uh, they've they've increased. Uh, I mean, their their revenue, their employees I mean they're just killing it you know quote as expected over the holidays we saw higher costs driven by uh, labor supply shortages and infl infl uh, inflatory pressures inflation oratories inflat whatever um, you know inflation um, and these issues persisted into the first quarter due to Omicron despite these short-term challenges we continue to feel optimistic and excited about business as we uh, emerge from the pandemic Amazon CEO said in the company's earning release, uh, quote, top fame stock. Uh, a tight labor market is expected to keep costs elevated for the uh, next few quarters, uh, wrote Jeffrey's analyst Brent Phil. 
I think I'm smarter than whoever this guy is because I don't think it's just gonna remain elevated. I think it's going to increase the price that they're going to uh, pay these workers, right? Because if you have uh, labor shortages, really it just means that you're not paying your, uh, your workers enough compared to what they're demanding. So if you have to fill in that supply for the demand, you have to increase uh, you know, the, the wage that you're giving these workers in order to get them to work for you. Uh, anyways, Amazon has been offering sign-on bonuses and lofty wages to attract workers during the pandemic. Last year, the company spent billions on COVID health-related costs to ensure a safe working environment. Uh, this week, uh, okay, quote, we continue to favor Amazon as our top theme stock, thing stock, of course, like, uh, you know, Amazon, Google, all these different top tech companies are so what FANG is. Uh, in 2022, uh, with the views that Q1 will be a low point uh, for growth and year-over-year -year margins. Trends get better from here. We think results will uh, highlight that Amazon is taking shares in, e in the e-commerce sector and is benefiting from cloud industry strength. And we think that enterprise exposure, uh, corporate CapEx cycle, is a positive Amazon uh, differentiator in 2022, wrote analysts from uh, different uh, research companies. Uh, the company's AWS unit grew 39% uh, year over year in the third quarter of 2021. That's crazy. They're having a crazy growth. And at such a large, you know, revenue and company they're at, they're still growing at a crazy rate. It's really insane. Uh, the street is looking for another robust growth figure for AWS uh, for, the first for the fourth quarter. Okay, now we're going to be looking at the tight labor market uh, in contrast with in relation to Amazon. So uh, 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 people are very focused on the labor costs, especially for Amazon, because they have so many workers, obviously. Supply chain issues and costs related to investments in Amazon fulfillment centers. Uh, consumers leaned heavily into buying online during the pandemic, driving up costs for labor and deliveries. So we had a higher demand, so we have to increase the supply. So we had to hire more people and get more trucks, all, this all these different things. The stock underperformed the S&P 500 in 2021. Uh, Year-to-date stock is down around 18% as high growth names have taken a beating over the pr uh, prospect prospects of higher inflation and rising interest rates. So obviously, People are saying, look, these growth stocks that are, you know, people are really anticipating higher growth into the way, way, way future. If we have high inflation, those are going to get hammered because when you have higher, uh, when you have high interest rates, it's going to act like gravity. Okay. And these, these high growth stocks are going to lose its va their value because, uh, you know, uh, you look at Amazon as a growth stock because they're always reinvesting in research. They're always uh, investing in new, com new companies. They're buying, you know, this this electric car company to compete with Tesla, uh, that, you know, they're really, really looking into the future. But if you have higher interest rates, it, you know, your earnings today matter much more. So if you have a business that's just turning out profit, 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 and it's not, that doesn't have that much debt, you're going to have, uh, you know, a better company when there's a higher interest rate on debt, you know? Okay. So big tech names that have been in the spotlight this week after a blowout quarter, uh, from Alphabet or, or Apple. Alphabet, Apple, and Microsoft uh, communication services stock took a beating on Thursday following uh, Meta's disappointing quarter. Obviously, Meta has been going down because of TikTok. <laughs> TikTok has been destroying their market. Uh, even, they even had to introduce Reels, which if you don't know what it is, basically they have to compete with a new social media platform by actually just copying the exact type of uh, you know video that uh, this new social media platform is based around. Um, and you see uh, Facebook kind of rebranding onto Meta. So, I mean, they're kind of in trouble. And plus they have, you know, regulatory battles and stuff going on. So I would definitely not want to be Mark Zuckerberg right now. Honestly, I would I would love to be Mark Zuckerberg right now, even with all these issues. And I'm sure many people would. So we have Ford's uh, Q4 earnings out and they're disappointing uh, because of the semiconductor shortage. Um, make sure to check out this video. It goes into complete depth about the semiconductor shortage and it actually talks about why the semiconductors are actually going to be in shortage until 2025 or 2026 because, you know, I mean, it's just crazy what's going on with semiconductors. So if you're invested in Ford or any type of these, um, you know, consumer electronic companies like, you know, uh, uh, Meta, stuff like that, or, or like, you know, with gaming PCs, stuff like that or, you know, PlayStation, Xbox, that type of stuff, or 
uh, with cars, definitely semiconductors. You definitely want to go check out that video. I'll link it up here. Anyways, uh, Ford uh, reported disappointing Q4 earnings uh, today after the closing bell. The legacy automaker missed consensus estimates among, uh, among the global semiconductor shortage and the toll uh, it has taken on its uh, production of vehicles across production lines. Here, we, uh, here were the main metrics uh, from Ford's report compared to Bloomberg consensus estimates. So we have revenues of uh, 37.7 billion versus 34.79 billion expected. Okay, uh, so 36 billion year over year. Okay, um, so Ford stock is down from a mid-January peak of just over 25 bucks dollars. Uh, the peak marked a 20-year high for the company, allowing it to breach a $100 million market cap for the first time ever. Ford currently sits at a market cap of around $80 billion, so 20% lower than its high. The company is seeing impressive uh, early demand for its electric vehicles, uh, particularly particularly. Uh, it's e-transit van and the highly anticipated f-150 lighting lightning so pretty crazy what they're doing with uh you know electric f-150 because there's some pretty big trucks um anyways ceo jim farley told yahoo finance live that the company has already accepted over 10,000 orders for the e-transit uh from quote a lot of different customers including 1,000 orders from walmart that is interesting he added that Ford will be aiming to reach an uh, EV sales capacity of 600,000 units over the next 22 months. That's pretty crazy. You know, I mean, I won't say it's crazy, but, you know, it's a lot because uh, they're at 10,000 right now. And they're saying basically over the next two years, we want to multiply it by 60. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Anyways, uh, F-150 Lightning. As for the 150 Lightning, uh, reservations for the electric pickup truck are demonstrating strong preliminary numbers as well quote we have about 200,000 reservations for the Ford Lightning he said now we're uh, converting those into orders where people have to physically order the vehicle almost uh, very few of them are falling out okay Ford announced in December that they would be capping the number of reservations for the Lightning at 200,000 as it works to expand production capacity in light of the material supply crunch so this is a big issue here. We have the semiconductor crunch. Let's go into it. So the company reported 167,000 total U.S. orders for December. Um, wow. So that's just for December. Hmm. That might be an issue with the supply crunch then. Anyways, uh, Ford electrified the Ford electric electric vehicle sales in January grew almost four times faster than the overall electrified segment. Uh, a Fed, uh, Fed, February 2nd, a Ford press release said, quote, with a total of 13,000 vehicles sold, Ford electrified vehicles were up 167%, uh, with share up five points to 10.9 points of segment. Trucks and SUVs still comprised the vast majority of vehicle sales for Ford, with 71,000 trucks and 66,000 SUVs sold in January of 2022. Looking forward, Ford continues to invest heavily in clean energy and new technology in a push towards a more sustainable automated future. According to a Bloomberg report, Ford will be increasing EV spending by as much as 20 billion on top of the, thir top of the 30 billion it already has committed to the space through 2025. Okay, so, so they have about $50 billion invested over the next 25 years, or what would it be, the next about three years. So, I mean, I guess that works out to be a little bit over 15, maybe about $16.5 billion every single year, which is a lot compared to their total market cap is at $80 billion. So, I mean, it looks like they are getting their lunch eaten by Tesla. I think Tesla is literally forcing many of these companies to start you know, competing with them by making electric vehicles because I mean before Tesla nobody was thinking about making electric vehicles like why would they do it they're making a lot of money everybody is fine with gas-powered vehicles but until Tesla came in and started you know <laughs> number one getting a super high stock price and number two you know just totally ramping up their productions and, and their expansion and it's kind of killing the 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 the, autom the automotive market that's literally forcing the hand of so many CEOs to start really, really aggressively investing in these EV technologies 
just to compete with Tesla and try to keep up. And I mean, it's really crazy what the guy Elon Musk has done. I mean, he's completely just revolutionizing the entire space of automotive technology and kind of just forcing people to compete with him and start making electric vehicles. But um, anyways, uh, that's pretty crazy if you ask me. Click right crypto regulation coming. Uh, we have a new, a new story on this. Uh, Securities and Exchange Commissioner Hester Pierce expects an SEC proposal to expand the definition of an exchange as a backdoor way to regulate cryptocurrency exchanges, but does not anticipate the commissions will formally introduce direct crypto regulations this year. So that's a good news if you are, uh, you know, trading with crypto and not paying your taxes. Oh, okay. The expansive definition that uh, that's being proposed for exchanges will cover a lot of potential platforms that haven't uh, thought necessarily that they'd be covered. Um, and that's in the traditional security space. As well as in the crypto space, Pierce told uh, Yahoo Finance. Uh, Pierce, a Republican appointee dubbed Crypto Mom for, for, for her enthusiastic advocacy of the sector, believes the commission is moving too quickly with a common period of 30 days, uh, which she said is too short to proper uh, consider expanding the regulatory net for trading platforms. Um, so she's saying, hey, chill out, chill out. We do not need to regulate it this quickly. Let's let people, you know, do their thing and we don't have to know about it. Slow down, okay? You need to take more time because, you know, you already know what she's doing with crypto. She's making, she's probably making bank with this crypto. Anyways, last week, uh, Pierce uh, descended against an SEC proposal that seeks to amend regulation, regulating trading systems, including expanding the definition of what constitutes an exchange. So the SEC is trying to uh, increase the definitions of an exchange so that formula, so that even things like, you know, instead of just being like OpenSea, which is an obvious exchange, but you could have smaller platforms that people, you know, would have to really start getting afraid of um, and start really paying attention to uh, because they'd have to start really, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, being monitored on even these small platforms. Anyways, um, quote, even if you have nothing to do with government securities or even fixed income or with traditional securities, read this release, she said at the time, quote, it covers a lot of ground and you should not assume that it has nothing to do with you because it probably does. That's a bit scary. So meanwhile, SEC Chairman Gary Gensler has urged cryptocurrency exchanges to voluntarily register with the commission uh, independent of the, la of the latest proposal. Quote, regardless of what happens with the proposal, I think he's trying to put those crypto platforms in our orbit, uh, said Pierce. Quote, that proposal, if it's adopted, will make uh, that a lot easier. While the SEC is pursuing a potential method to regulate crypto trading platforms, the agency hasn't put out formal rules to guidance uh, or guidance uh, on regulating crypto exchanges. While Gensler told Yahoo Finds last month that he hopes that it will uh, be the year that the SEC will put out rules to regulate exchanges. So, I mean, when you have this new technology, it takes a while for the SEC or any type of big government bodies to really uh, have a formal type of regulation on it. You know, so I mean, we really you really want to. Uh, keep close tabs on uh, what's going on here. Quote, we don't have a rule book in place that works for crypto exchanges as they currently operate. So uh, absent some kind of adjust, uh, adjustments or examinations, it's going to be very difficult uh, for these entities to register with us, said Pierce. The commissioner says that, uh, that she has yet to see any formal direct proposals for regulating crypto exchanges or crypto uh, in general on the SEC's agenda this year. Honestly, I think that certain things should be regulated. You know, you have a lot of like these pump and dump scams going on where people are you know, like, we're gonna pump this NFT and then you buy it to get people to buy it and then they just sell into that. So it's kind of just like a complete scam that's going around with a lot of, uh, you know, crypto stuff. But I mean, a lot of the crypto stuff is legit, but there should be a little bit of regulation on some of the stuff that's going on. Uh, if you look at the agenda, okay, we did that. Uh, Pierce said that she sees the SEC regulating through uh, enforcement this year rather than creating new rules or adjusting existing rules to accommodate digital assets. So she's saying that people, like, people are just going to get hit out of nowhere. You know, like, if you know the football analogy, you know, instead of, like, changing the rule book, you're just going to get blindsided and someone's going to hit you from the side where you're not even seeing. 
what's happening uh, on the field. So she said, quote, we should be working on creating that kind of a framework that works, uh, but I don't see it on the horizon based on what uh, what's in the regulatory agenda. And that leads me to fear that a lot of this work is going to be done through enforcement. So she's saying people are not even gonna like set the guidelines or the rules of the game. They're just gonna come out and start, you know, hitting people. According to Pierce, the SEC needs to offer the digital asset industry a clear framework on what they will regulate in crypto. She suggests applying the so-called HOE test, uh, Howey test, I don't know, uh, which is a rule that for uh, years has been used to determine whether an asset is a security to digital assets to see if it makes sense, but that may be somewhat of a challenge. Quote, it gets a little more difficult because the token works in a different way than some of these other assets do. And the, and the information uh, that you might want about the token is a little bit different uh, than you might want other, than other kinds of assets. Uh, she said the official believes SEC could craft a sort of safe harbor for digital assets that would offer disclosure for investors, such as transparency of the code. And I think we should have you know, more transparency. It's always good to have transparency whenever you're dealing with kind of like the government stuff. With this and like, hey, we're going to arrest you and take all the money that you made with crypto because you didn't do this one thing. And then you say, well, hey, like, I didn't even know that you had to do that. Uh, and that's what she's saying. She's saying that, hey, we need to have a, you know, clear, confined guideline, a rule book, you know, something that um, so we can understand what we can and can't do. And I honestly think that the SEC just doesn't even understand everything that's going on with crypto to even, you know, like set out a guideline. You know, I think that if they actually understood everything about it and what's going, you know, what's legal about it, what's wrong about it, what type of scam is going on with it, I think that they would not hesitate to, you know, create a whole rule book, rule book or guidance or laws against it. I think they just don't even understand it enough to really, you know, lay those down. And it's probably going to take a few years and, you know, a couple crazy, uh, you know, cases and stuff and lawsuits to actually start getting some some legit laws.